Hanover Research is proud to share with you the Grant Rants NIH series, an eight-part dive into the National Institutes of Health. Every other week, we will examine a different aspect of the NIH for grant seekers, including an overview of institutes and centers, the R series, fellowships and training grants, resubmissions, and more. Check out the Grant Rants podcast page for information on upcoming sessions and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Have a question or topic? Email us directly at podcast at HanoverResearch.com. Welcome back to the Grant Rant. Uh, we are here in our NIH series. Um, if you haven't yet checked out some of our previous episodes from this series, go back and do so. I really encourage it. Um, we have, uh, beginning at the very uh, top, we have uh, kind of an overview of the NIH. We talk about the R series. We talk about training and fellowships, and we talk about resubmissions. And then today, we're going to be talking about international grants. Um, I'm Mallory Waters. I am the host of the Grant Rant, and I am joined um, by my trusty sidekick, my colleague, um, the person who I go to with all sorts of questions about the NIH and all sorts of other agencies, uh, grants consultant Tom Kuhn. You're too nice. That's why we love you. Hi, all. <laughs> um, well, thanks for joining me again, Tom. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, international grants at the NIH. Um, international grant seeking um, in the U.S. Uh, can be a little bit murky. It can be a little bit tricky. Um, a lot of the federal agencies require um, that there is citizenship or permanent residence to apply directly. You know, NSF is one that comes to mind. You will almost never find an opportunity there um, where um, a PI or an or an institution outside of the U.S. can apply directly. Um, there are some exceptions to that, um, but you know, for the most part, um, it can be tough. Um, NIH is one of a handful of funders, though, that um, does allow and does in enable international applicants both through collaborations and through investigator-led submission. So, Tom, can you explain why so many funders in the U.S. don't allow applicants to apply if they are international? Yeah, you know, um, a lot of this really stems from where the money comes from. These are public dollars. They're appropriated through Congress and they're, they're, they're uh, you know, doled out and supervised by the executive branch. There's a strong general expectation that, that U.S. federal dollars, although we do an you know, incredible amount of aid for groups, that they're really directed into programs where there are capabilities and opportunities in the U.S. So you're right that uh, most federal agencies and increasingly Congress has been, you know, is strict about the ways in which dollars are spent uh, overseas and to non-U.S. citizens. And so there's been a lot of kind of oversight and increased um, uh, uh, increased review and attention being paid to not sending uh, these dollars outside. And even in the case of NIH, where uh, sorry NSF, where they do offer uh, international collaboration with institutions and individuals, you're right, they're hardly ever funding them. Uh, but, you know, that all said, regardless of the pressure from the public or from its Congress and its executive branch, there's a real key understanding that we're in a global world, that there are diversities of perspectives and training and language and background that have to bear on the giant social problems if you're trying to solve cancer, if you're trying to rehabilitate, you know, the, the the waterways, whatever it is, that there's increasingly a requirement not only to uh, to leverage the skill sets and understanding that it's brought together by international uh, and even convergent groups, but to make sure that those stakeholders are heard, that the perspectives are are built in, and that the global solutions for global challenges require global approaches. Um, 
All of that said, it, you know, generally principal investigators and other personnel that are supported by NIH research grants aren't required to be U.S. citizens. NIH is different, as you said, Mallory, um, although some do have specific citizen requirements. And you'll see that more often in the F and K awards when the NIH is making direct investments into the citizens of this country because that's where its public dollars are spent without leaving out the citizens of other countries. They do have in the R mechanisms there. Notably, there are no citizenship or green card requirements. So NIH is basically saying to the world of investigators um, that they're open to those investigator initiated ideas. The standards are still the same. Uh, there might be a little bit more expectation on how those uh, individuals overseas receive the awards. Uh, so they're you know post award. Uh, complications for regulate, you know, for compliance and others, but there are opportunities. Uh, there are several grants, though, that do have citizenship requirements. And as I talked about, it's really the trainees, the fellowship and the career development awards. Um, the, the mechanisms that uh, require U.S. citizenship uh, really are um, really require either permanent residency or green card status. So they're not mm -hmm. even precluding a faculty that are on loan or in the U.S. Uh, legally and attached to a university. So there, you, you can see the NIH is breaking down the barriers to international and collaborative work. Mm -hmm. Sure, absolutely. Um, and, you know, one other thing that, you know, frequently comes up and when I'm, I, I do work with a couple international clients um, and they will say, okay, well, you know, Technically, I'm, you know, eligible, but am I going to be competitive? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, to that end, you know, while international applicants may be eligible, you know, how important do you think it is that they have a U.S. partner connection or collaborator to really be considered competitive for funding? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think it's exactly what you're saying. You know, the feedback is, is point on. I mean, these are a smaller number of awards that are being made. So just naturally, they're going to be more competitive. And I think that the expectation is that there's a lot of the similar level of talent um, and resources and expertise that can be brought in for the U.S. And in NIH's mindset and in general in the U.S., they're not going to fund international collaborators unless there's some kind of specialized expertise, capabilities, or, you know, maybe they have access to study groups that you don't have here uh, that, that are just not available in the U.S. So it's not just, hey, I have a great idea from country X and it's on par with the U.S. It's really got to have that distinct advantage. So your question is point is, is spot on in terms of that connection to the U.S. partner, whether it's an individual or a research group or even a company or perhaps another public or federal lab, even a nonprofit. Um, there's an expectation that there's uh, that you're that the foreign country, the foreign participant is bringing a lot of extra benefit to that study. Um, foreign applications generally have an extra review step, but it's a bit more to make sure that the work that they're doing is not available in the U.S., which might cause a disqualification. Um, uh, and reviewers also consider the relevance of the research relative to the IC's mission and make sure that there truly is a need there. Um, foreign inve investigators working on NIH-funded grants have to, have to comply as non-U.S. citizens um, working at an institution, you have to stay there until you can finish your project. So you can't get the money and then take it back to your host or home country. And also, um, if you're 
if you're funded to perform work on selects agents or toxins that are increasingly being put on various government lists, you have to follow and be very open with the specialized procedures. So yes, you're right, Mallory. Uh, not only is that they're more competitive, there's less dollars available for it. There are a few more hoops and working with U.S. affiliated institutions is going to be uh, or, or individuals is going to be key to success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the key things that you mentioned is to, you know, for those international applicants, um, is to remember that, you know, the NIH, while its mission is to, you know, improve human health, and, you know, it's, it's got this global mission, um, you know, it is funded through US tax dollars. And so it does have, you know, um, an obligation to make sure that, you know, the money that is being, you know, put up by, you know, US tax dollars is primarily staying within the US. Yeah. And, and, and not, not necessarily, you know, not just staying in the U.S., but this was a clear benefit to the U.S., uh, especially when you're talking about international collaborations. Yeah. Um, so overlapping a little bit with our previous episode, um, you know, when we were talking about fellowships, um, can you talk a little bit about the International Research Fellowship, which is the FO5, and why that's such a valuable tool for international researchers in their early training career? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and this FO5 is really the only uh, internationally focused program in the fellowship mechanisms. Um, you know, the recognition is that increasingly collaboration between U.S. and foreign institutions is critical to enhancing the diversity of perspectives on the topic, on the study design, uh, both from academic and popular, uh, both at academic and population levels. Um, so the foreign researchers can have an important means of adding significant value to a particular study, uh, while also developing long-term relationships with with colleagues and institutions in the U.S. And the federal government really recognizes that, right? They they spend a lot of time in international national development programs across a range of all of its efforts, USAID, agriculture, security, homeland, you know, it doesn't matter because they know in times of crisis, those networks of people tend to call on each other. So there is a lot of uh, interest in and strengthen that, those capabilities. In particular, NIH is interested through the FO5 mechanism in strengthening the intellectual capital, um, both of the biomedical sciences research capabilities and the capabilities of international institutions. So they're expecting awardees to pursue um, future independent and productive careers that stimulate more research and contributions to biomedical sciences on a global scale. And the goal of this FO5 is really to support highly qualified foreign scientists and clinicians um, who have, uh, you know, either working towards or have uh, received recently clinical or research degrees by enhancing their capabilities, but, but in basic translational and clinical research settings in the United States. So they're not sending these dollars overseas, but they're awarding research to foreigners and indirectly through them to their institutions while they study and add significant value in the U.S. and then take those capabilities home with them and multiply them, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to, you know, think about it. And I think it's important for um, international, um, you know, folks who might be eligible for this to, you know, really, you know, consider just what a great opportunity this is. Um, so thinking beyond the NIH, um, you know, I mentioned NSF is, you know, one of the least friendly, I would say, in terms of international uh, grants, although I have seen some really interesting collaborations happening between the NI between the NSF and kind of counterparts with other um, within other nations. So we'll see things, you know, like the NSF is has like a joint solicitation with, you know, another entity from, you know, a different country. Um, but that's a little bit different. 
So what are some of the other federal agencies, uh, aside from the NIH, that are that are known to provide to that are known to provide support to um, international researchers? Yeah, the question of international researchers is, is the definer here, because the federal government, as we know, uh, through all of its agencies, provides significant support uh, overseas, whether it's in the form of direct aid relief, assisted resources. You know, we're seeing in the Ukraine a lot of support for a military intervention. Uh, and, and, and in the research space, as we talked about, there's a strong interest. I mean, if you're in a holiday in Thailand and you have a heart attack and Thailand's not so good at, uh, you know, it doesn't have heart centers and et cetera, you know, there's a disadvantage to us and vice versa, right? That, uh, the kind of aid that we might have to assist with Thailand. So the, the American government is always interested in building up capabilities of individuals, institutions and systems to help facilitate, you know, a, a stronger global community. Uh, so multiple U.S. federal agencies support international researchers. The NIH, we talked about that quite a bit. The NSF, uh, though the dollars don't flow to them as much, there really are, NSF is about facilitating uh, collaboration with, um, with, with uh, international and foreign researchers. Uh, and USAID, State Department, there are so many that offer a lot of work uh, into the research group. The longstanding rationale is that, you know, as we talked about this increasingly globalized world uh, with an increasing need and opportunity to capitalize and draw on all of this diversity of expertise and perspectives and, and the different ways people look at issues is critical. And U.S. universities have a long-standing uh, effort in accelerating that work. And as we all know, U.S. universities have a strong interest in bringing in international students, uh, not just because their tuition's higher, but because they're truly global organizations. We see most major, uh, lots of the big major universities have campuses overseas. Um, Increasingly, however, we're starting to see concerns about inappropriate foreign influence on U.S. funded research. We're seeing that the Congress itself is becoming a little more insular and focused on making sure that a lot of the R&D dollars that it's spending and the technologies don't transfer to potential adversaries and that are stay home and really help us to be better at what we do to leverage our competitive nature as a country. And so we're seeing the government increasingly scrutinizing uh, and even directing foreign research pro programs. So we can expect that there will be changes that the offices of uh, management, inspector generals, and others at agencies are going to be looking after very carefully that these dollars aren't misappropriated or misused. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you know one of your you know earlier points about you know collaborations is you know very on point when we're talking about international applicants too. Um, you know, if you have a strong track record collaborating with an institution and uh, researchers here in the, you know, U.S., you have, um, you know, publications together, that sort of thing, that's going to make you more competitive than if you, um, you know, are clearly just, you know, partnering with a researcher for the purposes of, you know, this, this particular grant. So also kind of keep those things in mind, too. Um, so you said that, you know, some opportunities, you know, allow international application, um, international applicants, but some don't. So where can a PI find that information within the program um, solicitation? Yeah, there's always going to be a very clear eligibility uh, section inside of the application, uh, inside the solicitation. Um, that, you know, given the wide variety of agencies and mechanisms, you just want to make sure that you're consulting the individual fun funding notices uh, rather than a, a general website or a general uh, N NIH requirement. Go straight into the funding, the specific solicitation or funding notice for the program that you're after, and they will make clear. There are, in the case of 
con uh, confusion or conflicting. Uh, in general, the parent guidance is overall the authority unless the specific solicitation makes a change, in which case that becomes the authority. And if you're still confused there, this is another reason to talk to a program officer. Absolutely. That should be the theme of, you know, this podcast yeah. is talk to the program of officer. Yeah. <laughs> um, Love it. So this last question, we're not going to get into much uh, because there's so many different, you know, specific guidelines that will go along with being an international applicant. But, you know, one of the nice things about federal grant dollars in general is the indirect cost uh, element to it. So if you're going in in the U.S. and you don't have a negotiated indirect cost rate agreement, so your institution doesn't have that, then you can usually take a flat de minimis rate of about 10%. It's a little bit different when it comes to international applicants. I believe it's about 8%, um, so a little bit lower. Um, but Tom, you know, can you speak to why it's important for, uh, you know, especially international entities to, you know, either work internally or work with someone over at the NIH when it comes to budgeting? Yeah, it's a critical aspect because it can be a threshold issue. It could also show the reviewers that you don't understand the scope of the project. Uh, you may, you know, you may misalign what you're trying to get done with, uh, with, you know, with a limited amount of resources that you didn't pick up. So it can work against you. The, I think the real lesson here, the real, the real wisdom here is to work very closely with your collaborating institution and their grant-sponsored office. They're going to have a lot of knowledge about the expectations in the, in the proposal to set them up to be compliant in the post-award process. Yeah, those people are the heroes in the grant world, those people Indeed. who can look at a budget and kind of work through the modular budget or the non-modular budget and figure out F&A and all that, go to them. They have all the answers. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Um, well, great. Well, thanks so much, Tom, for walking us through some of the international opportunities for grant seekers uh, at the NIH. Um, if you're listening, uh, I want you to really pay attention um, and kind of tune into the next episode. It's probably going to be my favorite episode because I think it kind of ties into everything else that we've talked about so well. We're going to be talking about um, some tools that are available to you through the NIH. So definitely tune into that. Um, you can find all of our previous episodes within the NIH series and beyond that. So all of the episodes that we've done since we started this podcast way back in 2021, um, you can go check out all of those. Um, and then if you have any questions, as always, you can reach us at podcast at HanoverResearch.com. Otherwise, tune in for our next episode and we will see you then. Always a pleasure. Talk to you soon.